0: Hello and welcome to Life of the School, Episode 2. My name is Aaron Matthew and... I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each week in the Life of the School podcast, I sit down with a fellow life science teacher from somewhere in the country and discuss their background before they enter the classroom, what is they're working on right now, and really their hopes and dreams for the future of their classroom. In Episode 2, I sit down with Gary High School science teacher Antonio Gamboa. Antonio is the AP Biology, AP Chemistry, and Chemistry teacher at Gary High School in Pomona, California. He previously taught at Castle Park High School in Chula Vista, California, and the Proust School UCSD in La Jolla, California. Throughout his teaching career, Antonio has been involved in a wide variety of professional development experiences, including NASA's Airborne Research Experience for Educators in 2013, the American Association of Immunology Summer Research Program for Teachers in 2015, and in May 2016, Antonio was named an Advocate Grant Program recipient for the Society for Science and the Public. He is currently attending a six-week nanotechnology research experience at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Antonio holds a master's degree in biochemistry from Cal State Fullerton and in cell and molecular pathology from UCSD. Welcome, Antonio.
1: Uh, Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad to be a participant.
0: Yeah, it was great. I'm so glad that you could uh, agree to talk, uh, even though you're away at a a summer program. Uh, Antonio and I met last year at the immunology program um, out in, uh, in his neck of the woods when uh, we sat through a course, um, a course that was, uh, I can admit to myself, way over my head in immunology um, <laughs> in terms of uh, learning the background. Uh, but it was a, a very intensive week of immunology um, when we were out in Long Beach, California last summer. And then we had the opportunity to get back together at the NABT conference this year. So um, it's great to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, you're right. That, uh, that last summer was way, way, way over our heads. But it was interesting, though. I mean, it's a great program, good for, for any teacher. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to develop your skills and, and, and learning about immunology. Yeah.
0: All right. So I'm going to get right into it. And uh, I'm starting with my opening question I ask everybody. So, how did you become a science teacher?
1: that's uh that's an interesting question you know, I've been asked this question and 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 i'm gonna try to articulate i uh I honestly thought at the beginning at, uh of my college career I will never ever accept in any teaching position that's what i that i thought um then I kept going in school and uh I start uh, getting involved with research which I really enjoyed doing and and I was uh, having success with it. Uh, however, I was getting a little bit older. So, you know, I started thinking about other possibilities, what to do, what not to do. Um, and one, actually, one of my friends who was teaching elementary school, he he mentioned it to me. And I, at the time, I thought it was a crazy, crazy idea to become a teacher. Um, I approached one of the districts and... Um, I, uh, I, I I mentioned to them that I would try it uh, as a as a part-time teacher. So I started at Chula Vista in, in high school as a part-time teacher, and I kept doing research at UCSD, and, and eventually I switched it where I was a full-time teacher and doing research, which I did for about six years. I was teaching, full-time teaching high school, and... A uh, part-time or maybe even more than part-time doing research so I kept bo- doing both for, for several years um, but I guess over the years it really grew on me the, the fact to, to become a full-time teacher and I guess it was just by default by looking for something else to do instead of dedicating myself to just fully doing just research and, and I felt the need of you know giving back of some of what I've learned over the years and things like that. Yeah, that, those part-time
0: teaching uh, gigs, that's, that was my first job. My first job was uh, an 80% teaching job Well I went and got my master's to try to figure out what I was going to do later. And uh, <laughs> then next thing you know, it's 20 years later. Um, <laughs> uh, exactly. It's uh, it's, exactly you know, that. I, I understand how you uh, you sort of almost reluctantly uh, get hooked in. And, and you mentioned to the, sort of those kids, you know, how you end up, you know, they're the ones that hook you. It's the combination of the love of science and, and working with them. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned research. So look, you know, what kind of, I mean, your, your background is, is amazing. Um, you know, I see biochemistry. And the, when I first read the title, uh, you know, cell and molecular pathology, that sounds like, you know, just amazing stuff. So what, what kind of stuff were you, were you focused on in your research?
1: Well, I started uh, doing essentially protein analysis uh, involved with uh, fertilization. I was involved with the identification of phospholipase that was involved in the block to polyspermy, and um, at first, like anything, I think it was like I thought that it was a crazy project, and uh, but it really, really took me on in, in in the sense that I I liked the challenge. So that was that was my first uh, really project, and then from there I went to the National Institutes of Health, and there. Um, I did some studies that involve a little bit more of of DNA, and we did the rat corticotropin releasing factor receptor. We isolated, characterized it, and uh, that was also related to the signal transduction events, but in in a different setting uh, where there's a G protein involved. Uh, And then after that, I went to UCSD, and then UCSD. I got really interested in, in the, the carbohydrates around the, membra- the membranes of cells and so I got in, involved in glycobiology where I did a lot of work with uh, radioactive materials, uh, cells, uh, in, in several things and then uh, after that I have a bigger switch where I went more into epidemiology and in epidemiology we were looking at uh, Actual cancer patients, we were taking samples, blood samples, and we were studying different markers, uh, various markers such as vitamin A, retinol, and, and some other other markers. Because what we wanted to to identify if there was a a correlation between the fact of those that develop breast cancer, they could have a better survival rate uh, if they were going into a different diet. And the diet at the time. It was fruits and vegetables, and you will think, well, that's obvious now. But back then, it wasn't like that. I mean, we even had a TV programs. We we went uh, on on TV and um, presented this idea, and the study came out really, really positive. So it was it was really nice, nice study, um, and that was pretty much. I, I spent uh, the the the, um, the cancer prevention unit. Uh, I spent there. Uh, almost seven years so i did a lot of that and it was a larger lab and i had a lot of fun and and but that's that was my background in terms of uh research which i was uh, i did and and i started my teaching while i was doing um the cancer prevention so that, that cancer prevention stuff would have been you know probably
0: predating a lot of the epigenetic work or were you starting to look at that towards the tail end or was there no overlap there
1: uh, there were some ideas back then about that, and, and uh, we also were looking at bulimia and some of the effects. And there was, we were also part of the um, uh, smoking group that was uh, trying to, you know, this big promotion about stop smoking, and they were. They were some of the first uh, groups that started the idea of uh, not smoking in, in public places. and So, yeah, we, we were part of a very, very um, uh, initiated that. In fact, the professor that I was with, she was uh, part of a group from the, the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, where she was one of the first professors that suggested and question more than anything else, why is it that medical doctors don't have a nutritional class? At the time, no doctor was taking any nutritional class. So there was, there was nothing out there that we could find. So, so we were doing um, several projects. There were several projects. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, we, uh, towards the end, uh, we started looking more into the molecular level uh, of this uh, nutrition in epigenetics, yes. So I imagine that with all that background,
0: you know, when you go in and you go to teach, you know, almost anything, you're going to have, you know, this tremendous connection to, you know, the research base. In terms of, you know, your favorite thing to teach, do you have a particular area that you really, you really love more than any others? You know, you passionate about, say, the molecular or the immunology or the epidemiology, or really does anything that... That dives into that science, you know, nature of science aspect, um, really, really hits you. What What are your favorite things to to teach in the classroom?
1: That's that's a really a really good question because it really poses sort of what is your philosophy and what do you really enjoy doing and you enjoy teaching, and I think I'm I'm at a crossroads where where I think that since since the beginning I I like the science aspect of how to do science, how to be a scientist, I guess, more than any one of them. So it is kind of hard for me to pick up one individual topic or subject in an area. What I think I really like is, is, is those topics that pose the students with questions that perhaps don't have answers and where the students find themselves in, in positions where they have to define problems. So, for example... Uh, in evolution, I really like the evolution section because um, the students come with with some kind of ideas that they gather from different places, maybe their parents and and their communities, and so it's interesting to me, at least, it's very very interesting to like to present the data, give the background information, and make them think about it so they can analyze, interpret what it means in in and and do some real deep thinking. And I think that's the part that I like with that one. And, and uh, the other one that I like is cell biology. Cell biology, maybe that one, because I did a lot of biochemistry. So I like the signal transduction. I think it's really, it's a really efficient way in which uh, cells can communicate signals to the inner parts and activate genes. And it also, gives me an opportunity for me to to bring to them this idea of how important is the connection of the sciences in 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 terms of you have these molecules that don't speak don't talk don't walk you know don't do what most students might be thinking but they do interact with each other in ways that um activate all these processes so i i found those those two very 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 nice very intriguing so I think that I pose them uh, that. And uh, the other one might be um, the, the labs that are, go along with them. For example, labs such as the um, photosynthesis. I, I, I like the photosynthesis because that's something that they can relate to. They can actually see it. And so they can actually extend what they know uh, with with the data that they obtain. So I would say those those three are probably some of the stronger topics that I like to, to cover in biology.
0: Yeah, so in the, the photosynthesis you're talking about the standard AP floating disk or do you do the the old-school lab? Uh... No, the,
1: the standard, the, 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 the floating disk, I think it's really it's probably one of the best inquiry labs, you know, and it allows them to actually explore the, 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 the ways of a real scientist, you know, how do I explain something, how do I design an experiment, uh, you know, surface area, what can I do? How do I change it? And, and I think that's the aspect to me. I think that's the key for them to learn science. So to me, I think it's extremely important that they see that connection.
0: Yeah. You, you bring up sort of two, a two really excellent points. I mean, I, I love to say, you know, if students aren't asking questions, if students aren't making choices, they're, they're just not doing science. Um, the, the truth is is that even if you're giving kids who may not have a lot of you know, tools, they still need to make some choices in terms of, well, we should use these materials versus these materials at the very simple, basic level if you're just starting to get into inquiry. But as you get to an AP student, particularly if you get a little bit into the year, you really want them to be asking the questions and, and figuring out which materials will lead to that, you know, that answer. And, and struggle with that aspect.
1: Um, yeah, and, and you pointed a very very important aspect of education. I mean, it's, it's not just the topic and the subject and the, and the knowledge that we have to uh, be able to get to them so they can incorporate it into their own way of being. But in order to reach that level of participation, understanding and, and being able to explain uh, it is necessary to to really give the students the skills for them to grow and be able to do it,
0: yeah, and then the other thing I thought that was really interesting that you brought up was this idea um, you know, the, the two topics you talked about, you know whether it 's molecules or evolution, they 're probably two of the most rife for um, you know the anthropomorphizing you know that the molecules want to do something or that evolution has some sort of driving desire behind it that um, that you know the molecules have like motivations, um and so when you bring in those misconception ideas, I think that you know making molecules act like people like they have desires or that evolution has a goal is, is such an interesting thing and and I think the language choice that that kids I think sometimes struggle with comes from those misconceptions
1: of wanting to make you know the molecules
0: act like people
1: so. yeah exactly they they have this perspective that. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, you know when you teach biology, they, not the AP but the general bio, uh, this idea of creating the cell as a town where you have the center and it's communicating. I mean, in reality, in some ways, we're putting people who is doing all of this, and indirectly, we're not pointing out that the main difference is that well, these people doesn't really exist inside the cells and these minds and this these ways of walking and taking and driving doesn't really exist. So so I think it's really important to be able to express that for molecules and that the evolution is a process that yet we can see it, yes we can observe it, yes we have evidence for it, but but it's not something explicitly that we have, at least we know that explicitly saying this is the way you're going now. You know, so it's important for them to distinguish those things.
0: Yeah, those are those are excellent points. I you know, you think about those those lessons that you go through in the level 1 bio and you got to be a little weir- wary of them sometimes about, you know, maybe even laying some groundwork that you're going to have to undo later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um one of the things I was thinking about, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, sitting down and talking with you as I remembered uh sitting down in uh, November and we were talking about our various classrooms and, you know, it was four of us sitting around a table after our presentation. And I remember you saying something and I, I may be wrong here, but my memory is that you say, you know, I don't lecture. You know, you don't lecture. I, am I misremembering that? Or is, is you know, if I walked in your classroom, am I not seeing the PowerPoint notes? Am I not? What am I seeing in your classroom when I see things?
1: Yeah, you, you're totally right. And, and, and those conversations have been really enrichment, enriching for me because have make me really thought about what, what do I really do, you know, I mean, and I really don't lecture. I can I can say it clear and loud. I, I don't lecture. I make it clear to the students that this is an environment where we are all learners and we have to uh, promote our own way of being self-independent learners. So, so it's very interesting because one of the things that the more I think about it, I, I, there are certain things that I do that I think set this up in 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 a way that they have to realize they have the ability, so the way I see it is I have to give them the skills necessary to self discover themselves before anything learning can take place. I have to drive this machinery where in their mind they discover and 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 I would like to take this opportunity now that you put in this interview, I think for other teachers, I think it's really important they need to discover that there's a mind growth set that they have to have where they believe that they can learn. You have to instigate on in them the fact that if you do it with a certain level of passion, you will enjoy it and you will want more knowledge. And then you're going to need this grit, which is conscious, conscious dedication to actually try to reach your goal. And that It's a long term, and it's going to take a long term, and yes, you will fail, but if you're resilient, you will come out, and you will keep going. And then the last thing it's adding is to, you cannot be perfect, but you can do excellent work. So I think putting those things in them, they make, I, make them, I, I feel that, that what happens is that I, I make them realize that, listen, it's, we are going to learn this. So if I give it to you, we're going to be missing the main part, which is the student, where you have to learn it. So in reality, I put it to them where I said, listen, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, I used Arduinos at one point, and honestly, I'm not an expert at all in any Arduinos and sensors and all this. But so I pulled them out and I say, listen guys, I know that we can do this with this 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 equipment. So what I would like you to do is make sure that we can use the temperature sensors, the humidity sensors, the gas sensors, and we're gonna go through this. So, so pull out the computers, I knew where you could download the software and, and help them as much as I could. And then I said, you have to you have to come up and, and, and discover this. And so it's a discovery with a facilitated learning under an explorative environment, and the idea is you're creating true scientists.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing to think about when you talk about your classrooms because, as we mentioned when we had that conversation, you know, we we teach in very different schools, and I think um, you know my the the kids who come into my school, the the thing that you said that really resonates with, with my kids is that excellence versus perfection, that idea that they, my, my students really struggle with, you know, is this right? Is this the right thing? And they, th- it takes a lot of work on my end to get them to the point where they understand that science doesn't have all of the answers. If science had all the answers, there would be no scientists. You know, we, our job is to ask the questions that we don't have answers to. And that if you really are thinking about science, you're asking novel questions. You're, you're letting your curiosity drive you towards this new, you know, this new endeavor. And ideally you get to, you get to find out the information. Um, and we have to do that in a co- more controlled environment. Cause you know, while we, we are watching those discs float up we may not be getting any Nobel prizes for our, our floating discs, but, um the idea that they could run an investigation and at the end they realize that their data is absolute junk so they weren't perfect but they can still do excellent science if they think about it they reflect they analyze they look at what their data says they can think about their investigation and think about wait a minute so why didn't this work and and really do that you know iterative process of going back and re- redefining how they need to conduct an investigation in order to get you know, genuine data that tells them something new.
1: Yeah. It boils down back to scientific research, you know, like, and I guess that's where, you know, like you were asking me before, is like, that's where my background comes from. And I, I feel that at least that's what I can uh, uh, contribute. And and I see it as a very, very important for them to be like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so one of the things I, I, I mentioned earlier is we both did this AAI project, and um, and uh, I don't know if you've gotten, you know, I don't know where you are in this but We haven't even talked about this, so <laughs> I know that I su- fin- finished my draft of my curriculum, and, and I sent that off. I don't, I don't want to put pressure on you if. <laughs> You're still working on your draft.
1: <laughs> I, I, I finished my draft. I sent it off, and I haven't received any feedback. So. Yeah,
0: we're, we're waiting. So Wait. I, I sent it off. I, I think probably they got the crush from all of us, which, if yours is anything like mine, my you know, I sent mine off, and mine's like 40 pages long. Uh, so <laughs> they, we, we crushed them with a couple hundred pages to review. So yeah. I'll understand that it takes them a couple weeks to get back to us. Uh, but uh, you did a really interesting project. My project was very much, you know, within my classroom, and I, I can talk about that sometime later. Um, Uh, but it's, you know, your, your project, um, you were doing a really interesting project, uh, involving zebrafish as a model organism, which I love model organisms. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how, you know, what you ended up doing with that nicotine zebrafish model?
1: Uh, this, the, the nicotine zebrafish model was, um, Essentially, you created a tank where you can't put nicotine because it dissolves in water. So the fish will be breathing this nicotine. And um, you will, for a week, you will um, have those fish going through the nicotine treatment. You could actually see them when you pull them out and they wanted more nicotine because they become addictive. And eventually you put them uh, under a drug that uh, it, it uh, creates a, essentially a cardiac arrest. So the drug is going to induce cardiac arrest. So your prediction would have been that, um, that those that were smokers, silverfish, smokerfish, uh, they will die sooner or they will have worse effects or so. And it happens to be exactly the opposite they have the better survivors. In some way, it protects it, and really nobody knows. So one of the things that we were looking at was uh, the interleukin. So we were looking at interleukin-6, and uh, they actually, uh, they, they, they continue with the study after, and they actually published an abstract where they demonstrated that, yeah, interleukin-6 seems to be uh, involved in, the, in this paradox of uh, protection from nicotine uh, and a cardiac arrest, and the fish uh, do better, and the hearts do show changes.
0: So when you said we, you're talking your students, some of your students?
1: Oh, no, this, this was done at the, uh, at the university. So the university, the, the master student that was doing it, he finished. What I did with the project, though, I took it to school, and I switched it. Okay. I, instead of using fish, I used um, Galleria Melanella, which is better known as the wax moth. And and they they uh, they are a real pest for beekeepers, oh, okay. and so we did very similar analysis, but but we were measuring for um, uh, phenol oxidase, and actually it was really interesting because that that whole thing turned into uh, the students picked it up, in a group of three students they picked it up and they did all this whole research and they did hundreds of these little larvae. And they actually uh, won the the Los Angeles County Science Fair, and they advanced to the the state fair, and they didn't place there. But I mean, the experience was fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that they were able to take that translational model, um, and then build on it. You know, that that sort of experience. You know, it reminds me a little bit of my conversation with with Brian, where uh, you know, I talked to Brian in episode one and I had him describing these students who, you know, they talked a little bit about, you know, domestic b- beetles and how they break down things. And then next thing you know, you got kids coming after school, asking you further questions and you got kids <laughs> going to, you know, you know, I got Brian bringing in, having kids bring in carcasses to be eaten by beetles. And you got kids going to, you know, win the Los Angeles, uh, science fair, um, uh, based off of this model. So it's, Amazing stuff uh, that you guys are doing, uh, so yeah, I remember talking to you last year. And I think I, I might have put the panic in you when you <laughs> mentioned the zebra fish because I know in Massachusetts uh, zebra fishes are no no in in schools as much as I love them as a model organism, I can't use them in my classroom um, because they're a vertebrate and it's illegal to to do anything um, in the classroom uh, with them well, I, I should
1: thank you for that because <laughs> in reality in reality <laughs> what happened. You were the one that switched my whole entire experiment. I was going to do some other thing with interleukins and you're testing interleukins and all this, and then I, I thought, no man i'm going to tre- bring the the zebrafish and all this, and you were the one that really pointed out to me some of the flaws in the process, and I was like, okay, okay okay. I have to have to review this and, and go in, in a different way and And that goes to show how important how important it is for us teachers to to actually collaborate because you know, if we don't do it, we might see something and we might be missing something that somebody else knows. So, so what you're doing is great because I think teachers just to hear this, that the collaboration among teachers really leads to much better projects.
0: Yeah. I, I, I got so much out of last summer and again in November. I mean, I, my, my, my feeling, you know, we go to this amazing conference and it's, it's no disrespect to, Any of the presenters at nabt there were there were great sessions um i I don't know about ours ours was just okay but you know (laughs) uh, all the other all the other ones i i loved them but honestly i i think my favorite you know two hours of the whole conference was you know you know me and you and uh jeremy and and michelle sitting around at the table after we presented and we sat around for two hours and talked and you know i think that was like the best part of the conference for me so um, that's a little bit why, why we're doing, why we're doing this now is to have those same conversations. So, um, all right, we, I've, I've kept you here for, for almost a half an hour. So let, let's, let's wind down a little bit. So when you're not, um, you know, we're, we are recording this and it's in, uh, it's in late, um, late June. So it's actually uh, Monday, the 20th, first day of spring. Uh, so tomorrow the U S is going to lose to Argentina um so I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah uh there was a little more suspense in the nba final last night uh <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. U.S. Argentina. We're going to take three of your best players off the field. All right. Yeah. No, no problem. Unless uh, Messi gets hit by by a truck on the way to the stadium. I think uh, I think the run may be over. But, hey, you know, I've been wrong about U.S. soccer before. I would be I would be thrilled if you're listening to this in early July when it comes out. I look back and laugh at how foolish I was, uh, how wrong I was. So uh, when you're uh, when you're not in the classroom, I just sort of alluded to the soccer thing. What are you doing
1: when you're when you're not in the classroom? Uh, I, I, I think I would summarize it into three things. Essentially, one is watch soccer as much as I can. So I uh, will watch any, any, any soccer game that is out there. Uh, I'll probably be there. Even when Mexico loses 7-0, to zero, <laughs> it's fine. I'll watch it. <laughs> uh, I, and I think uh, the United States is going to do fine tomorrow. Probably, if they lose, they're going to lose by two the most. I don't think more. That will be my prediction. Uh, the other thing that I really like to do is I really like to read current articles in science in in various directions uh, mostly mostly I like to read uh, medical journals and uh, the new incoming drugs and the new uh, m- m- uh, you know new f- uh, material science and, and and all kinds of stuff and some of it what i what i like to do is uh, i i like to to take the risk and and invest in little tiny companies or so biotechs and so and see if you know if if it works or not uh but i i i, I guess that's what i spend my, most of my time in and of course being soccer probably 80% of the time <laughs>
0: I was gonna say stay, staying current was, was my, my theme, but it's, it's only staying current 20% of the time, so.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but, but but not. But soccer probably takes. If it is not watching, then uh, I'm coaching or talking about soccer, and <laughs> and I think I, I share with you that uh, I'm still in, involved with a, a league that we started. We have about 20 teams, so uh, I might be the president again next year or so. But it doesn't matter. I'm a part member of the board, and so soccer is my other side of the coin
0: yeah my uh yeah, my nine year old is is still playing so I'm still coaching that's uh that's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll see yeah i don't I don't play anymore because of my knees but uh you know i still uh i still am out there running around with the nine year olds I can still keep up with them so uh, all right uh before we get to our picks uh, last question you know years to come i know that we have had all these great conversations what are you looking forward to you know in your classroom in the next you know year two years three years down the road?
1: i'll be honest with you in 2013 i thought i was going to get out of teaching i honestly thought when i look at this ngss thing i was like no i'm i'm just not gonna do this i am done and um i have i was very lucky to go to a program with the nasa program where they actually made me realize that it was going to be the best thing could have happened changing all the teaching into a real science place and a real place to learn about it. And and so what I'm looking for is to completely, completely change all my classes and to make them very base uh, STEM curriculum. I want to incorporate what I'm learning here and in the uh, material science, nanotechnology, graphene and all these other things, as well as I want to uh, implement a, a science club where we do science fairs. But what I, what, I, what I envision is to be able to really collaborate with the universities close by, develop uh, really scientific projects that have very good competition, and to give this, this, these students from these communities uh, a real show of their potential. And so I guess that's what I'm hitting, to modify my classes to the extent where they are fully STEM, in all directions with technology, mathematics, and, and where our, my teaching, I, I'm, what I'm envisioning right now is my teaching is to bring in uh, a lot of the current material and modify everything that I'm doing. I, I think that's how I see it. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm.
0: I've been a convert. A convert over to the NGSS as well. You know, when I first heard about it and first saw those confusing tables, I, I think I was, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting out. I was just thinking, well, you know, Massachusetts is never going to adopt this. So, um, <laughs> lo and behold, they did this past year. But uh, very much what you said over the last, you know, couple of years. Uh, as I have been more open, as I've been listening, as I've been reading, I I couldn't agree with you more. That it's it is going to be an amazing direction. Um, you know, I, I would like to say that I was above having those negative feelings of, of the unknown, but the truth is, you know, we're all human. And I, I, I totally relate to that, the, that process that you went through, uh, cause I think I felt the exact same, exact same pattern. All right. So, uh, before we get to picks, do you have any questions for me?
1: No, I think, I, I think I'm glad that what you're doing, I think what you're doing is great, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just uh, in some ways. I wonder. I will. I think it's a great idea, and that if you, no, I'm not sure what you're trying to post this, but I think it will be a good audience, you know, and maybe, maybe even at a conference where you have a conference where it is this, uh, and you present parts and sections of what different teachers are saying. You know, I think it would be great, but I don't know. I mean, that will be my question. So, so the only question is what, what, what direction you're going with this. But I think there's so many that I don't, I don't know. You know yeah, well, yeah.
0: So yeah. So this is now. I, I I recorded my first interview last week and um and posted that this past weekend. So um, as of today, as of the twentieth, right now, it is on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, it is on Google Play and it is on my website, uh, which is lifeoftheschool.org. Um, my hope is that by the end of this week, episode one will be up also on um, iTunes and will also be up on S- Stitcher. Um, I haven't investigated any other, um, you know, pod catching apps. Uh, that's where Stitcher is. I think that if I think I think if I hit um, those four platforms, those are four pretty dominant platforms, plus my website um, from conversations with people who listen to podcasts. Most people get their podcasts. I'm, I'm a big Stitcher uh, person, um, that's that's my favorite way of getting them. Uh, that or through iTunes, um, and then I know some Android folks who like uh, the Google Play. So if you've got um, if you've got an Android f- Android phone, you can easily get your podcast through uh, the Google Play app. So that's sort of where I targeted. Um, as of right now, I've only been accepted into Google Play, but I also only you know put in just a day or two ago. So. That's where those are going to be, and uh, you gave me a really interesting idea. I had never, I mean, I I go to conferences. I've presented at conferences a lot of times. I've never stood up, and I never thought about standing up and talking about this venture um, in a conference format. So it gives me something to think about in the next couple weeks. I've been more stressed out about figuring out how I'm going to ask all the people that I wrote down on a list, how I'm going to ask them to be, allow me to interview them and talk about their teaching. So, uh, yeah, I, I I haven't told any of the other people we sat down this, you know, in the in the immunology that they're on the list. Um, they're I found, on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I haven't really gotten that far out. I spent the last few months thinking about, you know, what it is that that I get out of the conversations, and and uh, I got the advice from uh, uh, from a few people um, who do podcasts to just do the podcast. Don't, don't think about it. Don't worry about being perfect. Sort of what you said earlier, you know, what we tell our kids, you know, don't worry about it being perfect, you know, do the best you can and you'll learn from the experience. And I imagine that, you know, uh, they're going to get better um, as we get through these and I'll get a better sense of, you know, how to do this thing, uh, how to set up these interviews, how to get the audio all set. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be some rough patches, but you know, uh, I I like the challenge uh, associated with it.
1: No, it's really nice. I think it's a great idea.
0: So, uh, so uh, this is our last, uh, my last little bit for it. As I like to do the picks, and I, I sort of held off uh, talking about uh, when I saw what your pick was. I held off on uh, on grilling you about what it is you're doing in Illinois. Um, uh, so, because I saw your pick, and I know your your pick is all about what you're learning about in this six weeks uh, uh, that you're out there for. So, uh, Antonio, what's your pick?
1: Uh, I, I guess uh, there's several things that I've read about the nanotechnology. I think in the, in the term of, of biology, there's a lot of things coming. There are a lot of new sensors. And, and specifically, there is a project here where you might be interested. is uh, They put some semiconductors, very small ones, at the micro level and they put some neurons and the neurons search and look as they're moving their uh, axe, their dendrites they're looking for the tube and once they get into the tube the dendrite f- speeds up like 10 times faster and it goes to the to the outside of the tube and they start looking for the next one and then it speeds up faster in the tube which is very amazing i mean, this is really really nice i think that that for biology is like unique <laughs> So what?
0: So are these, are these sensors going to be for electronic devices? Are these sensors to help with, you know, we don't know yet. What? Why would why would I want a very super smart neural sensor?
1: Well, there there are two parts. I mean, the sensors can be used. Uh, they there are some that are coming out for glucose levels and many other different type of levels of of interactions with the, with the sensor. So the sensor could be set into your body and uh, and, and, and send information about ions, cations, and your electrolytes or different things. But this other one that I just sh- uh, I shared with you, the one with the tubes, that is very unique. It's, it's not necessarily a sensor, but what they're thinking is maybe they can put these tubes and help cells in the brain make new communications you know you know how uh, there are studies that have shown that one of the main issues is that the neurons lose their contact with the other neurons so perhaps these little tools will allow them to find a way to get there
0: so this is going to be uh, potentially medical applications uh, for yes. degenerative neuro, uh, neurological disorders
1: mm-hmm. exactly
0: Oh, that's some pretty cool stuff. I'll have to I'll have to pull some interesting. I'll have to find some articles to post up in the show notes uh about this or get some from you. Uh, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah I was I was thinking as you were talking earlier about your your summer courses, uh when you're ready to you know, look at, you know, having students to go to science fairs or possibly summer research. I'll, you definitely have to get out, get in touch with me because I can put you in uh, touch with my colleague, Brian, uh, who literally started that program two summers ago, like literally started almost exactly the program you're talking about, a summer research um, experience to build, particularly with these younger students, you know, freshmen, sophomores, uh, towards the idea of getting into science fairs and towards getting laboratory research experience, you know, out at universities by their junior and senior year, um, building in that in that capacity, so.
1: Um, oh, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's exactly what I'm looking for, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. That was not my pick. So uh, so in my pick, it was funny because I was I was I was looking at I've been I've been putting together my summer reading now. And so I got like all these potential books that I'm thinking about reading. And I was like, I can't have Antonio on and then talk about a book because Antonio (laughs) doesn't have patience for books. Antonio is an article reader. And so I picked the longest article I could find. No, uh, (laughs) no, I picked an article. So (laughs) one of the topics that I've been thinking about a lot uh, as we've been coming to the close of the year. And believe it or not, I still have. uh, How many how long have you been out of school? So when do you? Uh, well, a couple, three weeks, three Two, weeks, and three weeks. weeks. Okay, so my last day is going to be upcoming Wednesday. Um, oh. <laughs> so, well, I'm still in wind down mode, and I, I've been, uh, I've been thinking and bringing things to a close uh, in these last few weeks. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, particularly this this semester, is um, what I do with homework. Um, and so for my honors uh, and my AP students, for years, for years and years and years, what I do is on test day, I collect their homework and I check their homework, and and this. This year, for a variety of reasons, partly because of some of the new tools I was trying in my classroom and a couple of other things, it, it came to me that a large number of my students, uh, massive numbers of my students, were literally putting off their homework until the last minute. Um, like, way more. And it may always have been this way, and I've been just, you know, turning a blind eye to it. But it seemed, it, this year it clicked with me that it was driving me crazy. And that's just bad homework habits. So um, one of the things I've been reading is articles and, you know, a couple of different books, uh, Make It Stick is one of the books. But um, I put a a link to an article. um, It's called Improving uh, Students' Learning with Effective Learning Techniques, uh, Promising Directions from Cognitive and Educational Psychology. It's like a 40 something page uh, article. And then there's also um, from uh, the U.S. Department of Education, a smaller packet called Organizing Instruction and Study to Improve Student Learning. And uh, what these two resources do is they sort of look at all the different things that you could potentially tell a student, um, you know, at at various levels about how they could study everything from, you know, uh, you know, chunking your homework into like big time, you you know, big time blocks or, you know, making it distributive over a long period of time. And then they run studies to see what was more effective, and there's a, it's a lot of information in these two articles, but you know it, it does a lot of things that we we already know that if students are more distributive in their in their studying, distributive in their homework. Um, that it's more effective than waiting until the day before and then trying to cram it all in. But there's also a couple of other interesting things about, you know, how effective something like highlighting is, something that I did all through college. I highlighted textbooks and highlighted articles and they basically say highlighting has really low effectiveness, if, if any effectiveness Um but there are other strategies that they build in. So I thought there were a couple of interesting articles about sort of the headspace I'm in. Um, I'm definitely changing my homework grading policy for next year uh, in terms of how often I'm going to be checking homework. Um, it inspired by you know some of the reading that I've been doing this spring. So I don't That's know how. really nice. I don't know how I don't know how you check your homework or how much on top of them you stay in terms of you know is it a nightly thing or you know if you've. I have colleagues who have skewed homework you know, completely. They don't check any homework ever. And it's all optional, but um, I figure if I'm going to check it and give them points for it, I need to you know, encourage good study habits, particularly for the younger kids, uh, yes. do, not to let them get in those bad habits.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I'll take a look because and, and, definitely that's, that's an area that I think not only me but everybody or every teacher can use a way because it's, it's, it's a big part, you know, it's a big part of our time and it's a big part of effort. And uh, we need to make sure that that has some, some kind of good result on, on the students.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where sometimes you talk to students and then you ask them about, you know, their homework and they'll say things like, oh, it's busy work. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, you know, are they doing it in a way that is busy work? Um, I think that if my students do the homework the way that I ask them to do, as something that they're going to do before they come to my class, to be ready for my class, to be able to engage in class discussions or to be able to engage in activities, that's prep, you know, that's preparation. That's it's not busy work. I'm helping them get a foundation so that they're sort of preloading some information so that they'll be ready to go. But if they're doing if they're not doing it then and they go through all those lessons and they're less prepared for the lessons. That I think then they're getting less out of those lessons. And then they're trying to cram all the homework in just to get the small number of points that I award, at, you know, before the test. That's, that's me having a system that's rewarding bad homework behavior. And, and I want to get away from stuff like that. So.
1: Yeah, that's a good point that, that you bring a good point is it's, it's part of what we do. Yeah. So How we do it.
0: Yeah. Well, Antonio, I cannot thank you enough uh, for, for joining me for episode two. Um, so I, I hope you enjoyed it, and you know, as always, I hope it was uh, you
1: know, thought-provoking. It definitely was, and it's, I think, like I said, it's, it's a great idea, and it's not just a great idea uh, for you. I think it's a great idea that that we do it, because uh, I think one of the most uh, important factors for us to continue grow as teachers is our self-reflection. We must self-reflect about what we're doing and how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and and how are we going to modify it? Uh, well, uh, thank you again. So
0: just to quickly go through my credits, uh, uh, music is provided by the band X-Magicians. Again, you can get all of uh, the information from this episode and all episodes at lifeoftheschool.org. Also, it's available now on uh, SoundCloud on Google Play Store and hopefully by the time this episode comes out it'll be on iTunes and Stitcher as well. You can provide feedback at lifeoftheschool.org by clicking on the feedback link and just sending me it'll send me an automatic uh, email. So if you have any thoughts on the show, if you've heard this and you'd like to provide any feedback, positive, negative, anything at all, I'd love to hear it and uh, I thank you for listening and I will talk to all of you soon.